Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Psalm 1 Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Penny, thanks uh, very much uh, indeed. And uh, let me say, I think you are in magnificent voice uh, this evening, church family. I don't know what it is, but it's been buoyed up by the uh, wonderful news that uh, we've had a sporting uh, moment of brilliance uh, this afternoon. Anyway, I feel pretty buoyed up as well. Uh, And, uh, you know, Andy Murray has just won two million pounds. I often look at the the girlfriends and the wives cheering their, uh, their men on, and I think... Another bag, another pair of shoes. I don't know whether that's what they're really so excited about. According to the, talking of money, according to the Sunday Times Rich List, David and Simon Rubin are the most wealthy people in Britain today, worth an estimated £13.1 billion. These days, I'm told, the Rubin brothers make most of their money through lucrative property deals. I imagine most of us at some point must have wondered what it would be like to be that wealthy and maybe if not that wealthy, just maybe the two million that uh, that, uh, Andy Murray has just won. Wouldn't it be lovely just not to have another financial worry in the world? And that desire for, for wealth and prosperity is not actually as crude as it might first seem. For sure, being really wealthy does bring with it a, a life of material comfort and hedonistic pleasure. And I don't mind telling you that I find the idea of a life of ease and luxury very appealing. But I think that desire for wealth often has a lot more substance to it than that. For with money comes security. And feeling safe is a wonderful thing. I reckon that's why so many people have have been so rocked by the EU referendum vote. There, of course, are many countless and complex reasons why people feel uneasy about leaving the EU. The issues were rehearsed for weeks before the vote and the news has been dominated by them ever since. There are many different issues surrounding Brexit, but it has to be said that people on both sides of the vote now feel very uneasy and much of that dis-ease flows from the financial uncertainty that leaving the EU will bring and indeed has already started with a weak pound and falling share prices. Now, please, I'm not here making any political point. My point is financial uncertainty leaves us feeling vulnerable. Wealth and prosperity bring security. And most people I know want to feel secure in this life. Which, of course, brings me 
to think of another big story this week, not the Welsh football team's fantastic run to the semi-finals of the Euros, although I have rediscovered my Welsh roots once again. My father's name was William Williams, and he was born in Blaenavon, and you don't get much more Welsh than that. And his father was John Williams and worked down the mine in Blaenavon. So I am very Welsh. I'm still looking for my Scottish roots, but I'll find them now that Andy Murray has won. I'm not talking about those things. No, the other big news story that I'm thinking of is the Chilcot inquiry into the Iraq war. Now, again, whatever you think of it, rights, the rights and wrongs of it, let me remind you of the climate back then. The world had been rocked by 9-11 and then 7-7. And quite simply, the world had been changed by those terrorist attacks. This nation felt vulnerable. I was living in central London when 7-7 bombings happened. Believe me, we felt vulnerable as we faced an enemy who would stop at nothing and who were nowhere and yet were everywhere. And my point again is not to comment on the Chilcot findings or the right and wrongs of the invasion, invasion of Iraq. My point is to remind us how we crave and how we understandably crave security and safety because it is a horrible thing to feel unsafe. And because we think wealth will give us security, we so desire it, we long to be prosperous. Well, look, it might surprise you to hear that the front page of the Bible's songbook, the Psalms, addresses that very issue. Psalm 1 is a guide to prosperity and security. Did you hear it when Penny was reading it? Look at verse 3. He, that is the blessed person of verse 1, he is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose life does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The psalmist points to the person who has the Midas touch. Everything they turn their hand to turns to gold. Whatever this man does prosper. Whatever. Do you see it there, verse 3? Whatever he does, he never fails. So if you were a budding entrepreneur on Dragon's Den, you'd want this man to make an offer because when he said, I'll give you all the money you asked for for a 25% stake in your company, then you'd know you were on a winner. Because end of verse three, whatever he does prospers. So with this man, you get prosperity and with prosperity comes security. And even if we're not materialistic or hedonistic, we do want to feel safe. So as we read this, surely we ask the question, who is this man and how can I be like him? That's what I want to know when I read Psalm 1. Is this really possible? Now, I presume like me, you get plenty of unsolicited junk mail in your inbox, some of it offering you ways of making a lot of money very quickly. And I presume that, like me, when you're on social media, up pop adverts that promise the world. But as Martin Lewis from MoneySavingExpert.com always says, if it looks too good to be true, it is. So like all these extravagant promises that are flying around the ether, Psalm 1 does sound too good to be true. As you read verses 1 and 2, frankly, it seems ridiculous. You see, the psalmist is suggesting that the way to have guaranteed prosperity and security is to do two things. One, in verse one, don't mix with the wrong company. And two, in verse two, read and obey your Bible. That's what he, that's what he says in verses one to three. Let me read it for you again. Verse one, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. 
But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and his life does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Follow God's ways and avoid mixing with the wrong company and everything you do will prosper. That's what he says. But that is ridiculous, isn't it? It is not only too good to be true, it's not even close to reality. So as you read this, you may well be thinking, does the psalmist think I'm a complete idiot to fall for a scam like this? I mean, this just does not work. And if it wasn't in the Bible, we'd not give it a second thought, would we? It is cloud cuckoo land, isn't it? If anything, the psalmist has it completely the wrong way round. If anything, when I look at life, when I do life, it's the unscrupulous man. The one who's prepared to walk all over others and get on in life. It's the scoundrel who climbs the corporate ladder. It is so often those with no moral conscience who get the promotion and with it the big house, the flashy car and the good-looking woman. And so actually, verse 4 is laughable because in verse 4 the psalmist reckons that wicked people don't prosper. Oh yes, they do. See, I've lost count of the amount of times people have told me that they struggle with believing in God precisely because wicked people do seem to get away with murder, as we say. It is the great injustices in this world that cause many people to have real intellectual dilemmas when it comes to the truths of the Bible. So one way and another, this psalm appears to have have it completely the wrong way round, making promises that don't seem believable with a view of the world that doesn't appear to be true. In fact, completely the opposite to the way it is. Now, before you click the delete button and assign this psalm to the trash can, and before you change your settings to ensure that anything else you get from the psalmist goes directly into your spam box, before you do that, look at verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Now we see what the psalmist is doing. He has got a bigger perspective. When it comes to prosperity, the psalmist, like all good investors, has a long-term view. Indeed, he has the longest term possible in view. He's looking at things in the light of eternity and judgment day. The psalmist says here, this is the point really of verse 4, that the wicked may appear to be prospering now, but for them there is going to be a Black Monday. Not a stock market crash, but the wicked themselves crashing. There will be a day when they won't have a leg to stand on verse 5. They will not stand in the judgment. All may appear to be going well for them now, but there'll come a day when those who ignore God, and that, that is who the wicked are, there'll come a day when those who've cut God out of their lives will find themselves cut off from God and therefore from every good thing that God gives. It is only in the light of verses five and six that verses one to four make sense, do you see? Indeed, it is only in the light of judgment day that all of life makes sense. Because it is only in the light of Jesus' return that we can assess the value of any of our actions today. And in God's economy, it is eternity and where we spend it that determines prosperity. Earlier this week, I had a day at Wimbledon with a friend. Actually, my wife and, uh, and son, Joshua, are, are at Wimbledon right now. 
If anybody ever suggests that I'm not committed to this church family, I gave my tickets to them. Anyway, that's beside the point. Earlier in the week, I, um, I did have a day at Wimbledon with a mate, and we had plenty of time to talk about anything and everything, and at one point, our conversation turned to retirement, uh, just because we were talking about everything. Uh, in fact, our retirement is quite a long way off, even mine, even though I've got grey hair. We talked about how we planned for our retirement. We talked about housing provision and pension plans. And we've done that because we know it's wise and sensible to plan for the future. It's what financial advisors tell us to do. It's what the government encourages us to do. Take a long-term view. That is wise. And that is why one of the biggest frustrations I have is when I meet people who refuse to have the longest-term investment in mind. So I find myself extraordinarily frustrated when I take funerals, when I meet family and discover that their loved one has gone through the whole of their lives without preparing themselves for that moment when they enter eternity. And then as I speak to loved ones who are left with death staring them in the face, I find it so frustrating that they also fail to see that they must prepare for their eternal future when it comes And I find myself frustrated with Christians, often people who know the gospel and know in Christ there is a guarantee of life beyond the grave. Christians, even though they know that, live as if this life were all they have. How frustrating to see Christians make bad decisions that show that they really haven't been thinking about eternity at all, making bad moral decisions and spending their time and money on things of this world that don't that won't make any difference into eternity. I see it in Christians when they retire. The way they use their retirement looks absolutely no different to unbelievers and the way they spend their retirement. So I find myself frustrated with unbelievers when they won't think about investing in eternity. And I'm frustrated with Christians who don't appear to have the long-term investment of eternity shaping their lives. And I find myself frustrated with myself. Because I so easily do the same. I so easily and so often find myself living for this life and not in the light of eternity, especially when there's tennis on. It consumes me. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with enjoying some tennis. I'm just saying it becomes everything. And so this psalm says, get a grip, do the wise thing, invest in the future, The eternal future, that is mine in Christ. And know that when I do that, whatever I do, when I'm doing that, whatever I do prospers. See, if I've invested my life in telling unbelievers about Jesus, that will bear fruit. I'll meet people in eternity who are there with Jesus Christ forever because that's what I invested in. That's fruit, that's prosperity. If I invest my life in helping Christians grow and mature in Christ, that will bear fruit for more and more people will be exposed to fruitful Christian lives and the gospel. This is why I want to give my time and effort and money to seeing this church grow and to training leaders who will help others come to know Christ and grow in Christ and to plant churches across this region so that Sheffield and South Yorkshire becomes a place where hundreds and thousands of people hear the gospel. But I so easily take my eye off the ball. I so easily begin to invest in things that don't last. And that is why I need this psalm. To recalibrate my thinking. 
So what is this psalmist's complete guide to success and prosperity? Well, two things. First, he starts his guide by telling us the things to avoid, verse 1. See, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Wicked, sinners, mockers are three ways of describing those who don't follow Jesus Christ. Because in the Bible, that is the ultimate wickedness. God gives us everything. He gives us life and breath and everything we have to enjoy. The only reason that I'm standing here alive and breathing right now is because God has kept my ticker ticking. But so much more than that. He has given us his very life in Christ to bring us back to himself. He died for us to restore our relationship with him. That's why it is wicked to have nothing to do with him or to treat him as a a footnote in our lives. And so here the psalmist says, the blessed man, the one who will be prosperous for eternity, does not, verse 1, walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Now, please don't misunderstand this. This is not saying don't spend time with unbelievers. That would be ridiculous. It is impossible to live this life without spending time with unbelievers. But the bigger point is we should want to spend time with people who aren't Christians yet to tell them the good news about Jesus and about life beyond the grave and about the very eternity that this chapter is about. This isn't telling us to avoid unbelievers. It's about who influences us most who we look to for advice, who we follow. Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. When it comes to the really big issues in life, don't follow the advice of people who aren't Christians. They have a different worldview. They will not have eternity in view. Don't stand in the way of sinners. Don't adopt the attitudes and lifestyle of unbelievers. They have a completely different worldview. They do not have eternity in view. And don't sit in the seat of mockers. Don't get comfortable and rooted in a way of life that doesn't have eternity in view. In short, the psalmist puts a question mark over the company we keep, those we're closest to, those we look up to and aspire to be like. Who do you want to be like? Since I read verse 1, I must ask, who is it I listen to most? Who do I want to emulate? And the progression in verse 1 is very instructive. You see, don't walk, don't stand, and then don't sit. Sitting is that sort of state of permanence. It's a posture that says, I'm rooted here. I'm not moving. And so the first verse is portraying that move away from God and towards permanently living without God and therefore without eternity. See, when I start to walk with unbelievers, when I begin to ask them for their advice on big issues of life, the next step is to stand with them, to stand for the things they stand for, and what comes after that is to sit firmly in another camp. So be careful who you look to to influence you. Be careful of the friends you keep, the books and articles you read, the opinions you listen to. Be careful who most influences you. That's what, or rather, who the psalmist tells us to avoid. Second, the psalmist tells us who we should listen to, where we should go to for advice. He doesn't just tell us the negative. He doesn't just say, don't do that. He says, do do this. And that's in verse two. But in contrast, the blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. 
It's simple. Rather than have your mind influenced by the ungodly, fill your mind with God's thoughts and God's ways by reading God's word. You see, there are so many influences around me every day. Every time I watch the television and read the newspaper, every time I go to the cinema or read a book, every conversation I have with friends and colleagues, all the time, to a greater or lesser extent, I am being influenced, whether I like it or not. I can't avoid that. And I'm being influenced by people and concepts that don't have eternity in view, of course. So to counteract that, I need to be sure every day to listen to God and be influenced by him. Because every day I'm being bombarded by lots of other thinking, every day, day and night, I need to meditate on God's word, reading the Bible, thinking carefully about it so that I get my mind thinking properly. That's the way to have a fruitful and prosperous life for eternity. That's how to make sure you don't go astray. That's how to invest For the long term, daily meditate on God's word. I I don't mind telling you I'm deeply worried by the level of serious personal Bible study among Christians today. You know, years back it used to be one of those things that Christians knew you should do. Have a daily time reading the Bible. But when I've been involved in interviewing people who apply to be trainees here, and I don't do it so much now, but I, I did a few years ago. I used to ask the same question. I used to say, tell me about your pattern of personal Bible reading and prayer. And very rarely did I hear about disciplined daily Bible reading and prayer. And even when there was a, a daily routine, very rarely did I hear about substantial Bible reading, substantial in time and depth. And the thing that worried me most is those were the keenest Christians we were interviewing. Look, if you're not in the daily habit of reading the Bible and you are a Christian, please start tomorrow. And you might say, I don't know where to start. Come and speak to me after this service. Speak to Pete. We will get you tonight some Bible reading notes for you to read. So you can start tomorrow. Let me say to you, if you have been reading the the Bible daily, and perhaps if you've been reading daily Bible reading notes, let me challenge you to move on to something more substantial now. Think about giving more time and more thought in your daily Bible study. You see here in verse 2, it says we should be meditating on God's word. That is thinking seriously about God's word. And I'm struck by another word in verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. I don't meet many people who delight in God's word. And I wonder if that's because we don't actually believe Psalm 1. We don't actually believe that the person who will prosper and bear fruit for eternity is the person who spends time in God's word. Either because we're not bothered about eternity or, or because we don't think that's the answer. But you see, once I'm convinced of that, I'll surely delight to discover God's way, to learn how to obey him. Once I have an eternal perspective, it will be a delight for me to consider every day how I can invest in the long term, how I can make sure that I don't lose sight of eternity. I keep coming back to God's word. 
So verse two, daily fill your mind with God's word. That's how you ensure that the many other voices around you every day are not the primary influence on you. And that is how to ensure that you live a fruitful life, verse three. He, that is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and his life and his leaf does not wither. It's a beautiful picture of life and vitality. A tree whose leaves do not wither and which bears fruit. A tree planted where it should be planted and receiving the nourishment it receives. Strong, secure, solid, immovable. All comes from God's word. Root yourself daily in God's word and you will be strong. So what about you? Find yourself... Imagining what it would be like to have you know, lots of money so you feel secure. I don't think that's such a crass thought. It's right to want to be secure. But you see, security comes from an eternity that is secure because no matter how much money we've got, this world is, is so dangerous. We've seen that again this week, haven't we? Those dreadful shootings in the U.S., Racially motivated hatred. It doesn't matter where you are, you're not safe. But you can be safe for, for eternity in Christ. So maybe you're not a believer here tonight. Thanks for coming. Can I ask you to think about eternity a bit more? Think about investing in eternity. Please think about it. Don't wait until Peter or I come to meet your family when you've died and they look at us and they say to us, um, well, he, she wasn't religious, but he was a good person. Which is just a, a short way of saying they weren't interested in God. And perhaps you've lost your way as a follower of Jesus Christ. You, you, you're still here. Well done for coming. Uh, will you think about eternity? You're finding lots of other things are sort of grabbing your mind and taking you away from the things of Jesus Christ. Think about eternity and say, I'm going to get back to these things. I'm going to start again reading the Bible every day, getting my focus right. And maybe the majority of us here are not unbelievers and have not lost our way, but we're Christians and we're trying to keep going. Well done. But if you're anything like me, you keep finding yourself tempted to invest in the present and not in the future. Psalm 1 recalibrates your thinking. And whoever you are, Psalm 1 says, start reading the Bible every day. That's where we find the security we crave. And that is where we will find ourselves rooted and established and therefore prosperous for eternity. Let's pray together. We thank you, our Lord and God, for this uh, wonderful first psalm in so many ways, um, setting the scene for the book of Psalms, uh, giving us that right perspective, that eternal perspective.
Heavenly Father, you know we're ever so weak. You know that so often we find our hearts drawn to other things. And so we thank you, you've had mercy on us and spoken to us again today. And we pray you would give us that daily encouragement as we read your word to keep having our focus on you and the things of eternity to help us to know how we should live each day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.